Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 77 of Believe in Betting LA. I'm your host, Sam Maxwell. You can find me on Twitter at smaxwell 713 and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Lourd of Stag Capital and Edge Finder Sports. You can find Chris on Twitter at LuMandingoRock, at Stag Capital, uh, on Twitter for those folks, and at Edge Finder Sports. Let's bring him in. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Oh, be doing better. I uh, put together a uh, workout bench. Uh, first time I put something together in a long time. Ikea furniture-esque, and uh, what I thought was going to take me about 20 minutes took me about an hour and 20 minutes, and uh, I will take this thing to my grave. Yeah, those things never tend to go the way you anticipate them going. Um, I'm about the least handy person of all time, so I probably wouldn't have even made it that far, so feel accomplished that you at least put it together. Um, We are going to talk about our week number two March Madness picks. We're also going to have two very fine guests on, the creators and hosts and producers of the Bullet Podcast, uh, Rafi Cantor and Ben Stein. Great guests, great guys. You'll enjoy listening to their story in that interview. Before we move on, I want to tackle some administrative stuff. Of course, this is Believe in Betting LA. We are, as always, on the Believe Podcast Network, BLEAB.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. Once again, our Twitter handles are smaxwell713 and lumandingorock at Stack Capital for Stack Cabin at Edgefinder Sports. We are available wherever you choose to get your podcast from. That includes iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. And before we move on, we'll bring in our guest from the Bolted Podcast. I do want to thank our sponsor for today, Bet Online, the fine folks at BetOnline.ag. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably had some wagers last weekend. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll probably have some wagers next weekend. There's no better place to do it than BetOnline.ag. They've got literally hundreds of bets that you can put on. There's player props. There are game props. There are totals. Of course, there's spreads and money lines and everything in between. Go to BetOnline.ag. Sign up today, and you receive your free 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, let's bring them in. We've got two fine guests today, the creators, hosts, and producers of The Bolted Podcast. We're joined now by Rafi and Ben, the creators and hosts of The Bolted Podcast. Chris and I are very excited to speak with them, and hopefully you listeners out there are equally as excited to hear the awesome story, or maybe not for these guys, the awesome story of how the Chargers moved from San Diego to Los Angeles a few short years ago. Let's bring them in. Let's start here with Rafi. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm great. Uh, Sam, Chris, thanks for having us on. We're really excited to talk about the show that I will say, you know, despite its ending, uh, we, we think it's a pretty awesome story. Yeah, it it seems like a great story. It's it's not an it's not an uncommon story in the NFL. Of course, uh, San Diego's not the only, not the first city to lose a, a beloved team, and, and really across all of sports, um, it sucks. You know, it's part of the ugly part of sports. It's driven by money. It's driven by TV deals, and um, you know, we'll we'll talk further. But there's a, a whole fan base left behind, and um, it's not the league's intention or the team's intention necessarily. But um, there, there's there's no sugar cutting. It's de- it definitely sucks for the city of San Diego, who you know love the, the Chargers, and and some of them still do. Um, let's bring in the other guest today, and that's Ben. How you doing, Ben? Hey, uh, thank you for having us on today. This is this is really exciting. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So the hosts, the creators, the voices behind the podcast bolted. Um, and let's just start, guys, from the very beginning. 
How do you guys know each other? How did this project start? Um, take a sec from, from chapter one of this book. Yeah, uh, so uh, if you want to talk about very beginning, uh, Ben and I were in the same uh, toddler preschool class at Temple Emmanuel Synagogue in San Diego in 1996. So, I mean, we're we're, <laughs> we're really throwing it back if we want to go all the chapter way back. Chapter one that's how starts we know very early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, obviously we grew up together, you know, went to Chargers games together at certain points. So, uh, you know, that we've, we've known each other forever. And, uh, the genesis of this story is, uh, in 2019, a few things were happening all at the same time. Uh, so the first thing was, as I was unemployed, uh, and, uh, you know, boredom is the, is the mother of all invention. And, uh, the second thing that happened was I went to my first LA chargers game. I've, I've lived in Los Angeles since 2013. I was born and raised in San Diego before that. And, uh, so I, you know, the, the team had been in town for a couple seasons, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I finally went, it was like a week four game against the Denver Broncos at StubHub center, uh, which was the soccer stadium where they play the 30,000 seat, uh, where the galaxy plays in Carson. And it was just a sea of orange. It was just all Broncos fans. I, you know, I would say it's like an 80-20 split. And uh, it was just kind of like I, I had been on Twitter and I have eyes and ears and I had seen all the stuff of, about the games. But, but being there in person was just kind of something else entirely. Uh, and it was kind of I wasn't like angry or, or mad or anything. I think that all those those feelings had gone away. It was more just like, wow, like this is. A spectacle like this is this is so unique and this you know uh sam like you had said this is not a unique story in that franchise's move but none of, of the moved franchise has the same fate that has befell the chargers in san diego at least or excuse me in, in los angeles at least uh you know the first few years that they were here and um the last thing that was going on at the same time was uh, I read a book in 2019 uh, called Boomtown, which was written by Sam Anderson. He's a writer for the New York Times. And that book is about simultaneously the history of Oklahoma City and then also one specific season of the Oklahoma City Thunder the year after they traded James Harden. And there's all these parallels in the history and in the team and all these different things that were going on. And Sam does an amazing job of weaving it together. And it blew my mind and it kind of changed what I thought was possible for a sports story and a history story. And I was like, there's this exact story, but for San Diego and the Chargers and L.A. So uh, the show is a lot of history. It's a lot. You know, we go back to the 1850s to start to speaking of chapter one and move all the way till today to talk about the relationship between San Diego and L.A., the Spanos family the Chargers franchise and uh at this time is kind of like when I needed someone who was crazy enough to do all this with me and you know Ben yeah. I talked to Ben and he basically said whose car are we taking so that's uh what we've been doing for the last 15 months that's awesome and uh yeah before before we guys uh we brought you guys on here I was kind of prognosticating with the last names I I'm also Jewish so three-fourths of this podcast is, is Jewish. How's that feel, Chris? You feeling in the minority right now? No, that feels pretty common, having uh, lived in L.A. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I might have said this before on the podcast. Maybe it was offline. But my favorite thing would be, you know, going to dinner one night and uh, the streets being empty. And uh, especially, I, you know, Wilshire and Robertson, right, very close to uh, to kind of the epicenter, right, of, of Jewish L.A. And uh, no one on the streets, no traffic, flying down Pico. And I'm like, must be a Jewish holiday. <laughs> so one of one of the benefits of, of living in LA is when that happens when you're not Jewish, you kind of have the run of the town. 
Yeah. If you ever want to uh, to know for sure, there's a website that's called is this a Jewish holiday.com or something. You can search it and it either says yes or no. And that's the whole website. <laughs> that's amazing. Brilliant. <laughs> awesome. Uh, ben, when you first received the overture from, from Rafi, um, you know, was it really that instantaneous? Whose car was it? Or, or do you have any questions? What, what was, I guess, chapter number two then? Sure. So, um, so the first I, I really heard any idea of this, Rafi sent me a text and he said, I've got this idea for a podcast. I'd love to let, I'd love to work on it with you. Let me know what you think. Didn't give me any details. Didn't say what he didn't say what it was about chargers, whatever. Just said, um, I'm going to be in San Diego next week. Um, can we, can we have a time to chat? And I said, of course, come over. Um, uh, I'd love, you know, I'd love to work on something with you. Um, comes over and he kind of laid out the, you know, six episode idea. And, and what his, what he had told me was that there's this chargers move and there's stuff we don't know, but like, there's a lot of stuff that most people don't know happened in San Diego or, you know, other factors that it wasn't just a vote in 2016 that moved the chargers. And I said, and, and so for me, I was uh, I went to college for journalism and had just recently graduated and was looking to start my career in sports journalism. So I thought there isn't really uh, a much better topic or, or thing to do than to create my own project and on on this huge uh, you know thing that really did mean a lot. Like Rafi said, we grew up in San Diego and we're Chargers fans, like diehard Chargers fans. Um, so it was an easy yes. Um, I said this before, but Rafi could have asked me to work on, you know, a, a podcast on the Chargers or uh, start a rock band. I don't know how to play any musical instruments, but I, if he asked me to work on a project, my answer would have been yes. So, so yes, it was it was instant. Well, you have some kind of pull there, Rafi. Dang. <laughs> yeah, I know. I would have asked for more stuff. I would like money or something. Yeah, time to win Ben Stein's money. <laughs> We were talking about that. I was talking. I was in, informing Sam of who uh, the Ben Stein is, uh, and how I was hoping. No offense, Ben. I was hoping you were him, but oh well. Uh, it's <laughs> not you, the first you time I've heard that, that. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine the turn if it was if it was just like the famous like ec economist and actor Ben Stein <laughs> just doing this <laughs> podcast about the Chargers? But it wouldn't be that out of out of left field for him, right? Like he's an eccentric guy who, you know, yeah, is like a, a world-renowned economist who decided right. to do a, a TV trivia show one day. So maybe he'd get into podcasting. You never know. Maybe there's All a right. collaboration we can do. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Ben Stein squared, huh? Yeah. Um, okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper in now and you know, take us behind the scenes of what it was like during those years uh, as a San Diego Charger fan. You know, there was rumors of the team moving for years. You know, it wasn't like it came out of left field. There was a lot of issues with Qualcomm. Um, I've been there for a few games myself. I'm sure uh, as fond memories as you guys have of that place, you could admit it's not a, a world-class stadium. And, and I'm sure um, for you guys, you were hoping that you can get a brand-new stadium, maybe closer uh, to where Petco is or something like that. Um, what was the first sense of trouble and kind of, kind of just walk us through what you discovered in the process that was either maybe surprising or something that you already knew and was confirmed um, in this interview process. So the first sign of trouble for the Chargers, you know, if we really want to go back, is in 1995, they go to the Super Bowl and they play the 49ers and they get their clocks cleaned. 
but it was the first time that the team had ever been to the Super Bowl before. And so the town was mad, crazy chargers. And uh, they had a lot of leverage politically. And at the time, the NFL was kind of making a statement about we only want to hold Super Bowls in what we consider to be Super Bowl caliber stadiums. And uh, at the time, uh, Jack Murphy Stadium, as it was called back then, the bowl was open, kind of like when they built the Oakland Coliseum, too, and you could see the hills in the East Bay. Um, And much for the same reason, they closed the bowl to accommodate Super Bowls because San Diego liked the idea of, oh, we just played in a Super Bowl. We could be a Super Bowl city that hosts Super Bowls. Well, it, it instead of just building a new stadium, which probably would have been the better thing, they spent, you know, close to $100 million upgrading the stadium, like doing all this stuff and taking a stadium that was, by the way, already almost 30 years old and just adding more seats, basically. And um, that happened at the same time that the city struck a deal with uh, the team. Now, across the country at this time, there were all these NFL teams that were getting uh, to play in stadiums rent free. If the city, you know, if these were publicly owned stadiums, the, the cities would just give them the space to play because the NFL was just so popular. And it's these these teams are kind of treated like public commodities, which is kind of crazy for a private business. And it's something we talk about a lot in this series. And uh, instead of doing that, because that would have been super politically unpopular in San Diego, um, they did this weird workaround deal called the ticket guarantee, which was this, you know, famous, infamous, I should say, thing that happened in San Diego, which was uh, instead of the Chargers not paying rent, the city agreed to buy seats that were unsold for Chargers games so that if there ever wasn't a sellout, that the city would just buy the seats. Well, what that did was that created a financial disincentive for the Chargers to make a competitive team. And a year after they strike this deal... The Chargers draft Ryan Leaf, and who we talked to extensively on the show. We have a whole episode about him. He talked to us for an hour. Ryan's awesome, like, and we loved talking to him today. But he will be the first to tell you he was not a good football player. <laughs> he was not a good football player, and it did not work out well. And uh, at least in the pros, and uh, you know the the team was awful, and the city wound up paying the Chargers almost forty million dollars for unsold tickets over the course of several seasons. And it was just seen as like the most ultimate corruptness that the city was just hemorrhaging money to subsidize this private business in a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. And this is, by the way, this is happening 20 years ago. So in terms of like how long this, this is going on, this is even before the chargers are saying we want a new stadium. And it's in fact around the time when the ticket guarantee deal ends that they start saying, oh, we want a new stadium. And the, and the well was kind of already poisoned. So just to jump on top of that, uh, you know, I remember, so Rafi is talking about things that were happening politically. I remember being a kid, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old and having friends who were like Steelers and Cowboys fans making jokes like your, your team's going to go to LA like as a kid. So this was early two thousands. And, um, even when it wasn't serious, it was always serious. So, so like it always meant something, especially because it was LA. Um, so it was always like a legitimate possibility. Uh, and, and, but it was also something that like, it was, it was just a, a talk. It was never actually going to happen until it actually happened. Which is actually was, was going to, was going to ask is, you guys would have been young, but you know, the team was pretty respectable in the mid nineties, but was there a cloud of like, were you cognizant of it? Did you hear your parents talk about it? Was it on the news that like 
the Chargers aren't going to be here forever. Like this is this is fait accompli that this is going to happen. Or did you guys think you know that no that would that would never happen, right? Were you were you naive in your youth to think that that something like this could could transpire? Um, I so I was I was born in the mid '90s, so I never experienced the Cold War. But when people talk about the Cold War, they always talk about this like you know you go about your life, but there's just this kind of blanket threat of like oh there might be like a nuke dropped at some point. And there, that was, especially if you grew up in the fifties and sixties, like that was kind of the feeling. Obviously these are not the same stakes, but uh, there was, it was, it was always in the background. And uh, you know, the episode that we had come out this week was the uh, talking about the chargers in the mid two thousands, which was the, those excellent teams, the, the LT led chargers that went 14 and two. And, you know, were incredible and Marty Schottenheimer and Antonio Gates and all that stuff. And around that time, there was a stadium plan that really people thought was going to go through. And uh, basically all because of one politician, a guy by the name of Mike Aguirre, who we also interviewed extensively for this podcast. He was the city attorney at the time in San Diego, kind of led like a goal line stand against this, uh, what was considered to be a land giveaway to the Spanos family to build a new stadium. Um, And uh, people realized that the stadium deal wasn't going to get done off the field so that they kind of needed to get it done on the field and they needed to like win a Super Bowl or do something crazy like they did in 95 when they even just went to the Super Bowl and they got that expansion of the stadium. And so that season in 2006, when they went 14 and two, there was so much more riding on that than just a trophy. It was like if they lose this or if they don't win a Super Bowl in the next few years, the team is going to leave eventually. And it wound up taking a lot longer than people thought, but they had a lot of really good teams in the mid to late 2000s and just none of them were successful. And I I don't think anyone can say at this point that, uh, you know, that that them not winning a Super Bowl had to do with them leaving. And Ben, do you think, forget the political, forget the economic, do you think if they get a new stadium that the Chargers are still there, that that keeps them around, or would it not have mattered? That it would have, they still would have figured out a way to get out of there eventually. Uh, without a doubt, if they would have gone a new stadium, they would have um, stayed. I, I, I think that um, personally, I think that the the Spanos mindset was we don't really care where we play. Uh, but we don't want to personally pay for it, or we want to personally pay as little as possible. So, um, you know, once he got this deal to, to you know, stay with the Cronkies in, in L.A., uh, it, was, it, was, it was an easy yes for him. I, I'm certain of it because he has to pay a dollar a year for 20 years, and then he's responsible for whatever uh, personal seat licenses that they can sell, but just like whatever they can sell. Uh, they don't have any like minimum stuff that they have to be, paying for. If that would have been the case in San Diego, I'm certain he would have taken it. Um, but that wasn't going to be the case in San Diego. Uh, Rafi, I don't know if you think anything differently, but um, that's that's my thought. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that, you know, uh, we, the line we've had about the Spanos family when we talk about them is that we're more understanding of why they moved, but they're but we're less sympathetic. Um, and we go into the 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 show about, you know, the Spanos family, who they are as a family, as business people, et cetera, how they made their money, how they rose to riches. And it, and one of the things that's clear in the family, hardworking immigrant family, uh, that they uh, are all about the bottom line. They're all about, and, and they're, they operate a business and, you know, who can really fault them? Like we said, it's, it's this weird gray area between public 
good and private business. And so, you know, they're going to they're going to take the money wherever they can find it. And they found it in L.A. Once again, joined by the creators, hosts and producers of the Bolted podcast, Rafi and Ben. We're so glad to have them here. Um, you know, we talk, we've been talking about the, the villain, uh, you know, the Spanos family and, and kind of hijacking the team from San Diego to Los Angeles. Was there any other villains that you uncovered while doing the production here? Is there anyone that maybe the common fan wouldn't know, but played a really key role in taking the charges away from you? Um, you know, you know, that saying that's like success has a thousand fathers, but, uh, but defeat isn't, is an orphan or, or failure. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of the opposite for the chargers where it's, it's like, actually this, this defeat has a, a thousand fathers in the sense that, uh, there's kind of a blame game that gets pushed around, uh, whenever you talk about the team. I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously you talked about the Spanos family. They certainly had a big part of it and they also you know, we're the ones who pulled the trigger and moved the team. Um, you know, one of the things we go to great lengths in the show to explain is why it's specifically so difficult to build stuff in San Diego. And a lot of it has to do with a really toxic political culture. Um, you know, there's this uh, culture in politics of uh, people running for office and saying, uh, we'll give you great services and we won't make you pay for them. And they find these ways like make pay for stuff and that's been happening in the city for decades and so you know when it starts happening for your your pension funds and your infrastructure and your water pipes and your trash pickup it kind of starts happening for your stadium too um and the last guy that we had in there uh, is a guy that you know people might recognize his name today his name's kevin faulkner he's running for governor of california right now uh he's trying to recall gavin newsom and you know he kind of acted like he was going to be different. And then he kind of fell into those same trappings of, you know, wanting to above all act like he was doing stuff, but not actually, you know, trying to push anything across the goal line. So, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, Oh, this one person, you know, uh, I think if you will listen to every episode of this show, you'll see that there's a villain in every episode. Yeah. I've been to two, uh, two San Diego games Chargers. It's still hard for me to call them. I, I can't even say Los Angeles chargers. I just have to say chargers. And I still hum the, the disco tune, you know, the San Diego super char. I still hum that all the time. Um, but what I was, you know, what I was thinking, uh, cause I grew up in Chicago, so I'm a bears fan and the bears are maligned right now as typical as they are. They have a, a above average defense and ownership that appears to be incompetent. Do you see in the Spanos family, you know, is Dean, do you feel he's incompetent? Is he better or worse than any owner? As you've gone through this, do you say, you know what, I bet 26 other owners would have done the exact same thing the, the Spanos family did? Or do you think he is above, you know, above all, like actually a, a legitimately bad actor in all this? Um, you know, We've talked to we talked to quite a few people making the show, uh, like journalists who are like NFL insiders and stuff like that. And and it's funny. There's a big difference between the Spanos's public perception and then the Spanos's perception within the group of NFL owners. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things y y we talk about in the show is there's a real divide in the 32 NFL owners between the old money guys and the new money guys. And uh, the old money guys are the Spanoses, the Davises. You even see the the, the Bears family uh, that that have had these teams forever, oftentimes inherited wealth that is t largely tied up. In and you have your money people like 
Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones, people who were independently wealthy and then bought their teams. And the teams are kind of just like one part of their larger empire. And uh, I, I think to answer your question specifically, there are a lot of NFL owners who would have done the same thing and have done the same thing. I mean, look at the Davis family and the Kroenke's yep. for doing it, you know, doing it. Uh, but one of the things that we uh, really talk about in the second episode, which is all about the Spanos family, is the difference between Alex Spanos, who who's the one who bought the team in the mid-80s, and his son, Dean, who inherited it. And, you know, I, really the big difference is, and th- these are Alex Spanos's own words that he said in his autobiography, is that Dean grew up rich and Alex didn't. You know, Alex grew up and made the family business and uh, it, it creates a certain amount of... Uh, uh, a lack of follow through that I think was consistent in terms of all the people we talked to who who worked with Dean or knew Dean is that he was a much more introverted guy, didn't do good in crowds, didn't get really close with his players or anything like that. And uh, a lot of that is just like generational. It's like you were just like weren't you weren't the dude who made the thing. And sometimes you don't have the same gumption, you know. Yeah, but the, what's the saying is born on born on third base, thought he hit a triple. Yeah, we right. actually had. We actually up. had. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. We actually had somebody who said literally he was <laughs> born on third base and failed to score. Got to get the suicide squeeze down. Um, goodness, well, I know we're uh, we're running out of time here, but just I'm gonna do very quick rapid fire with you two. One of you two can just jump in, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Um, so I'll start with you, Rafi. Besides LT, favorite Charger of all time, Donnie Edwards. Ben, Junior Seau. Oh, great. That's a great pick. Okay. Yeah. Um, biggest Charger rival? Raiders. Raiders. Okay, perfect. Um, favorite Charger memory? Favorite San Diego Charger memory? Uh, I was there when LT broke the single-season touchdown record uh, in 2006, so that was that was pretty unreal. Um, this is hard. Uh, my my favorite memory is probably the game that we, there was one game in like 2004 that I went. We got to walk onto the field and like I saw Drew Brees play catch with like his son and uh, they were playing the Bengals. We sat next to the cannon. That was a fun day. That's probably my. There's a lot of really good memories that I have of the Chargers and and watching them beat you know uh, Paint Man intercept Paint Manning six times in one game. That was really fun, but. Seeing them in person and, and being at the stadium was really fun, always. Okay. Um, what's your favorite, favorite Philip Rivers moment? Anytime uh, he would play, and it's, it's not one time, I'm sorry, but anytime he would do a play action and take like two steps and he would like take a, a pro hop forward and you just knew <laughs> he was going to launch at 50 yards, that, that was my favorite football plays ever. Uh, yeah. Uh, watching him try and scramble out of the pocket was like my favorite because he has like less than zero mobility. And then he would, as you know, he would trash talk, but it's the, it's all the PG fourth grade, no swear words, trash talk. So he was definitely the kind of guy where like, if he wasn't on your team, you hated him. And I understand why, but he was on my team. So I loved him, you know? Looking back, he's such a fun player. I actually grew up a Broncos fan. So I, I was one of those people that hated him, but now that he's gone, and really uh, this started for me last season when he wasn't on the Chargers anymore, you could, you could really learn to love a guy like that. And, he, and right. he's so fun and, and, and you know, spirited, and uh, I always love when he talks trash in PG. Um, all right, real quickly, one more question. Are you guys still Charter fans? Do you, you know, when you were there, Rafi, at 
you know, StubHub Center, now Dignity Health Sports Park. Were you rooting for them? Do you ever anticipate being a real Chargers fan again? Uh, so uh, the when I came into doing the show, the answer is no. Uh, when I am leaving doing the show, the answer is uh, I appreciate the team from a scientific standpoint. I think they're a fascinating franchise. And just because I've, we've been doing a lot of press for the show and we've gone on like uh, Chargers podcasts and like sometimes they want to talk about free agency stuff. So I've been like brushing up on it. And it was like a, a part of my brain was coming back where I was like, oh, right. Who are they going to who are they going to take in the third round? And are they, are they going to tr- trade their pick? And like, who are they going to sign? And where, what are they going to do to free up cap space? And in a way, I kind of got excited again. And like I, you know, I, like I said, I live in L.A. And um, my uncle actually lives here and he has tickets to the team. And and so I thought, like, oh, maybe I'll try and go to a game or something. And I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm no longer uh, totally closed off to the idea, but I definitely appreciate them from a scientific standpoint. So Rafi stole my answer almost to a T. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, we haven't really talked about it that much. But like I, I was initially still trying to be a fan of the Chargers, but for the last like couple of years, I, I definitely was not a fan of the team, like to the point where I really stopped watching football um, and, and like intentionally would, would do stuff to keep myself away from the team. Uh, through doing this podcast, I'm not only uh, very interested in their future and what's going to happen, but like I, I, I love everything we've learned about the team and that I didn't know as a super diehard fan growing up that uh, it's definitely the the sports team I am the most invested in. Uh, so whether it's technically fandom, I'm not really sure, but I am definitely in, invested and interested in, in keeping up with the day-to-day, which is not something I expected to say 16 months ago. Well, it definitely helps that they have a, a, an outstanding rookie quarterback and a really talented team coming back next year, I'm sure. That is great. Um, all right, guys, where can the good people find the podcast? Where can they follow you on Twitter? Are you working on anything else right now that you want to plug? Uh, so you can follow us at bolted podcast on, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all the same thing. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google podcasts. Uh, if you go to our, uh, Insta- or any of our social media, you'll, you'll, you'll go right there too. Uh, the show is six episodes. Um, four episodes are out now. The next two come out, uh, each of the next Tuesdays. And we'll also have some bonus content coming on the feed in the coming weeks and months as well. Uh, but, uh, that's it. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. And are you employed now, Rafi? Is, is this is this your full time <laughs> job? <laughs> I do have a job. It is not this. I I, I have a full time job now. Uh, gainfully employed, thankfully. Uh, but nice. this is just more of a work of passion. Right. Right. Of course. Well, Rafi, Ben, creators, host podcast uh, of the Bolted Podcast. Excuse me. We really appreciate your guys' time. Thanks, Thanks so much Thank for having you. us. Thank you very much. It was great to chat with both Rafi and Ben. Real life experience. They lived through that, Chris. I can't imagine having one of my teams move away from my city. That must be absolutely heartbreaking and, and, and really interesting story. Go ahead and listen to that podcast. It's awesome. We were talking about it. Very well produced, Chris. The production value is very, very strong. You heard how articulate and sharp both Ben and Rafi are. Uh, and most importantly, it's a great story. So go give that a listen to. It's Bolted Podcast. And as you heard from Rafi, uh, you can find all their socials by just searching Bolted. Uh, and, and you can find that podcast wherever you choose to get your podcast from. Let's transition from football to basketball. It is the second weekend, Chris, of March Madness. Usually we have games starting tomorrow. We are recording this on Wednesday evening. But no, this this is going to be even different. We're going Saturday to Tuesday now before we crown uh, the final four. So 
We're going to talk about it. We're going to break down all eight games, give our picks. We did all 31 games last week, and we're going to do all eight games this week, and we're going to keep a tally of how we did. 17 and 14 for Chris last week, and 14 and 17 for myself. Let's start Saturday morning, Chris, 11.40 a.m. Pacific time. We've got those Oregon State Beavers, those never-say-die Beavers, going up against the probably America's team right now, the Loyola of Chicago Ramblers. Right now, Ramblers are six-and-a-half favorites. Total at one twenty-five half. Who you got in this one? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm really going to miss not having a game on Friday evening. That that's you know I understand that they need things to be equal, but boy, would I go for a little Oregon State Loyola Chicago at about seven thirty p.m. on Friday. I digress. Uh, I think six and a half points is just a little too much. I think Loyola is going to be super prepared. They've had a number of days to get ready. You saw what they did to Illinois on on a day's turnaround. Um, and I, I've forgotten his name now, but Oregon State's point guard is just not confident with the ball. You know, I think he's a decent player, but ball handling is not one of those things. I think Loyola is going to do ex- exploit that. That is my one concern in this game. But six and a half points for, for Oregon State, which I think is probably a more talented team. But I think Loyola is going to be more prepared. Minus 110, I'm taking Oregon State six and a half. We're going to agree there. You know, as much as I, I am absolutely strongly confident that Loyola is going to win this game. But I do think Oregon State covers this one. Let's break it down here. Oregon State, 15-5 and five against the spread as an underdog this season. That is overwhelming data. Loyola, 17-8-1 against the spread. So they've been also very, very good. Things are different this time. Loyola has a massive target on their back. They are uh, you know, the perceived favorite probably in that region uh, potentially. So I like Oregon State to cover this game. I think it's going to be ugly. It may be a backdoor cover. I feel like Loyola is going to dominate this game. But, you know, this total is 125 and a half. So six and a half points is a lot for a game that, you know, the, yep. perceived, uh, the perceived totals here are what, like 62 to 57 or something like that. So um, a little bit higher than that, maybe like 64 to 59. Um, so I, I definitely think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be competitive for a while. I do see Loyola kind of taking over in the second half there, putting the clamps down. Um, I think the under has a decent chance of hitting it as well, but I think the bet here is Oregon State plus six and a half. <clears throat> Moving on to our second game. This one's Saturday at 2.15 p.m. Pacific. Villanova and Baylor. Baylor is seven-point favorites in this one. Totals at 145 half. This one should be a lot of fun here, Chris. Two powerhouse programs over the last 10 years or so. Who you got here between Nova and the Baylor Bears? There's the nobody talking about Baylor, one seed, look dominant kind of kind of aspect to it, but... As Luchelari told us just yesterday, uh, Nova didn't miss a beat really when Gillespie went out. Uh, the kid that took over for him is, is maybe even more talented. Just you know, doesn't quite have the the leadership right that that coaches love to talk about for a guy who's who's been in the program forever. Nova plus seven and minus one hundred five is what I'm seeing right now. I like that price quite a bit too. I think Baylor again probably wins this game by by five or six points, but Nova getting seven points for a team that's looked pretty darn good is is a little too much for me. Okay, we're going to disagree here for the first time tonight. This one should be a lot of fun. I got Baylor covering this one. Strength versus strength. Nova, number one in the country in the fewest amount of turnover percentage per game, according to Ken Palm. Uh, everything that we that we are, are stating here, at least for me, is coming from Ken Palm. I saw on Twitter that he was complaining that uh, the Turner guys were not giving him the appropriate uh, citing. So we're going to go ahead and just just say that Ken Palm is the greatest analytical basketball website of all time. And that's where we get all of our info from there. You know, Ken Palm can never claim that we did not try to cite his work. It really is a great, a great website that I, I, I subscribe to every year. $20 very well spent if you're a basketball gambler. 
Okay, Nova, number one in the country, fewest turnovers. Baylor, number three in the country, according to Ken Pomet, forcing those turnovers. Baylor can also score. They've got depth. Um, you know, I do think Nova has a decent coaching advantage. So that is a bit scary. But, you know, in watching this Baylor team, they can just they can win the game in so many different ways. I think they're going to blow this team out. Uh, maybe not a blowout, but I think it's going to be about an 8-10 to 10 point win. I like Baylor to cover 7. Moving on, another fun upstart team, maybe America's Cinderella. Oral Robert, the number Oral Roberts, excuse me, the number fifteen team, uh, the number fifteen seed, I should say, taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas eleven and a half point favorites. This one has a very high total, one fifty nine from Saturday, four twenty five p.m. Who you got? Yeah, I don't. I hate taking a favorite at eleven points, double digits, especially when the the price is at minus one fifteen. But I just think I think the music's going to stop. Arkansas plays so fast. I think you're going to see a, an athletic disparity here in this game, and and it wouldn't surprise me if Arkansas wins by you know 18 points or something like that. I'd love I'd love for the dream to continue. Right, nothing would please me more than than that story. But I just think I think Arkansas is going to do it. I think too athletic, too fast. Arkansas minus 11. Yeah, I'm taking the Hogs, too, uh, with the points. Um, if you're an over-better, I think this one has a chance of hitting the over, and it's going to be a really fun one to root for. Um, I'm an under-better, so I usually don't take overs. However, I'm not taking the under in this one. It's going to be not fun to watch if you're rooting for the under. Uh, this is a really fun over-Roberts team. They got one of the highest volume scores in the country in Max Smith. I just finally got that pronunciation right for the first time probably ever. Um, I agree. I just don't see how Oral Roberts can keep it going. Typically, this is exactly when we see these "quote unquote" Cinderellas fall. They, you know, they have to go out there and surprise someone in round one. There's not enough time to prepare for them in round two. They can keep it going, and there's four or five days to prepare for them. Typically, these more talented teams are able to figure it out. Loyola, I don't really consider a Cinderella. I consider them a, a very underseeded team. Oral Roberts is the literally the definition. Of yep. under seed or an under seed of a Cinderella, a 15 seed team that can absolutely shoot the lights out of the ball and score. Uh, I think the Hogs hold on. They cover 11 and a half. Moving on to our final one of the day on Saturday. This one's Saturday, 6:55 p.m. Pacific. The Syracuse Orange taking on the Houston Cougars. The Cougars are six point favorites. Total in this one's 140. Yeah, I said at the outset uh, in our first and second round, first first round episode that uh, Houston was one of the teams I was really big on. They did not look great in their in their second round game. Needed a flurry there at the end, but I think they're going to turn it on against Syracuse. I think again, Syracuse is one of those teams that enjoys the. We're just going to hawk it up there, you know, season the kind of tournament uh, veteran coach that Jim Beheim is. But Houston minus six. I think they're more talented than Syracuse uh, minus one ten. Yeah, Houston's one of those teams that plays both ways. I think they're one of only four teams that were top 15 in both offensive and defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Um, you know, Syracuse, we talked about this last week. Um, you know, they just, they just did this a couple years ago where they barely made the tournament, made a run. Um, I don't think, you know, they're going to have the firepower to keep it going. Buddy Bayham is an excellent player, but this Houston defense is, is very, very good. They're going to shine here. Um, as you mentioned, Houston not particularly impressive last weekend. They should have lost to Rutgers. They really should have. However, this Cougar team is going to murder the Orange on the offensive rebounding front. They're number two in the country at offensive rebounds per game. Syracuse, defensive rebounding, number 340 in the country. Oof. And the Houston defense, as I mentioned, is very, very good as well. I'm going to go ahead and take the under here. That's the bet I feel the most confident in, just based off how Houston in, in played records last week. That was a 63-60 win. Of course, this will be a much more up-tempo game, but I like under 140. 
Let's turn the page, Chris, over to Creighton Blue Jays taking on Gonzaga. The Zags are 13.5-point favorites. This total is a staggeringly high 158. Gonzaga has covered and hit the over in their first two games so far. Do you see that continuing Sunday at 11, 10 a.m.? I think probably, probably yes. Um, I am going to, and you know, I said this to the Luchelari when he gave me kind of a side eye on our Skype call when I said Creighton was one of the teams that surprised me. I was hoping this was going to be more like 15 points, 15 and a half. There was going to be hooked there, but I'm not going to abandon my boys at Creighton. I think they're going to stick with them. Getting 13 points at minus 105, Gonzaga's going to win, but they're going to win by single digits. I'm taking the other side again. I'm taking Gonzaga. You know, this is a Gonzaga team they did cover against Oklahoma. That one was close. However, I do think they're going to go out there and uh, and blow out this Creighton team. I just don't like this Creighton team as much as you do. And um, you didn't say one of the teams that surprised you yesterday. I literally asked for the most impressive team. Oh, impressive. Okay. <laughs> you chose Creighton. So we won't give you a hard time there. Uh, Gonzaga just seems like they're absolutely on a mission. How many times have these players and coaches and fans heard that they have not gotten over the hump? They're trying to be the team that does that. They're starting here with a massive win over Creighton. I got Gonzaga covering 13 and a half. Moving on now, we're taking Florida State and Michigan. The Wolverines, two and a half point favorites. I think they're still going to be without Isaiah Livers. 143 halves the total Sunday at 2 p.m. Who you got, Knowles and Wolverines? I don't really want to take Michigan, but um, I think they're I think they're just a, a savvy team. I like the way they played. Um, they handled, I thought, like showed a lot of maturity playing LSU. That was uh, I thought playing a little bit above their their talent level. Michigan minus two half at minus one hundred five. I like that price too. I also like Michigan. It feels like teams like this happen all the time, where you like a team to lose in the second round. Maybe a, a team that's. Uh, perceived to not maybe have the same firepower they did earlier this season. And usually once they get over that hump, things become easier. Florida State, what are their strengths? They're athletic. They're large. They got incredible length. Michigan has got a legitimate seven footer and hundred tickets and they've got athletes all over the floor. They're very, very well coached. So as much as I thought LSU or you know we both thought St. Bonnie would get it done. As much as I liked LSU over Michigan last week, just because I didn't think they were the same team without Livers, uh, I think they match up pretty well with Florida State. They're carrying the banner right now for the Big Ten, uh, and they're a very deep team. They're, we have players stepping up all over the court right now, so I like Michigan to cover two and a half. All right, and that leads us, Chris. We still are, at the end of the day, an L.A.-based betting podcast. We've got both L.A.-based basketball teams coming up here, starting with the UCLA Bruins, one of the last four teams in the field are taking on the Alabama Rolling Tide here in the Sweet 16. The Tide's six-and-a-half-point favorites. Our total's at 145-half. Sunday, 4.15 p.m. L.A. basketball fans, I hope you're ready for an awesome Sunday afternoon and evening. Starting with UCLA, who you got, Chris? Yeah, I think I think UCLA's got their work cut out for them, for sure. Uh, but I like the – they've played great, right? It's just abandoned. We're, we're happy to be here. We got nothing nothing to lose, right? We're gonna we're just going to go nuts and, and, and play – I'm taking UCLA plus six half at minus 110. I really, really love that half point. Yeah, same here. You know, look, I think this UCLA team um, just kind of is hitting their stride. You know, when I watch them, I kind of wonder how is this team, you know, one of the last in the field? They're very, very talented. They have some elite talent on that team, elite scoring. Um, But, you know, this is this is college basketball. And that's why it's so awesome. Look, I think Alabama has a clear coaching edge. I love Nate Oates, and so does Alabama. They just gave a huge extension. Um, ultimately, I do think Alabama wins this game. However, I think it's going to be a one-possession game. Very, very close, or at least free throws at the end there. I like usually to keep it close enough to cover six and a half as well. And that brings us to our final game of the weekend. 
Oregon, USC. We've got the Trojans at two and a half point favorites. Totals 138 and a half. These are two teams with arguably the most impressive wins in the second round last week. Oregon just demolishing the number two Iowa Hawkeyes. And if you think that was a demolishing SC's win over Kansas, it was about 40 points. That one was crazy as well. Who you got here? Ducks, Trojans. This one should be fun. That makes me a little bit sad in my younger years and, you know, pre-COVID, of course, this is, would have been one of those afternoons. And, you know, I have no rooting interest in UCLA, Alabama, Oregon, or USC, but I would have parked myself at the bar, given the, given the waitress, given the bartender, you know, a quick $40 tip and see how many free wings she brings us. Uh, alas, I will not be doing that. I love conference mashups in, in tournaments like this. I think it's going to be Probably the best game uh, of of the Sweet 16. I am so, so looking forward to it. Again, no rooting interest, but I will be watching every minute of this. USC and the Brothers Mobley, minus two half, minus 108. <laughs> Brothers Mobley, all right. That's awesome. This is this is an all-time fun matchup. You know, some some games are just meant to be. We were kind of talking about it. These, these spreads are... These, these spreads indicate that none of these, not a lot of these games are expected to be really close and come down to the wire. I mean, literally, you know, this game and the Michigan-Florida State game are the only ones that are have a spread within one possession, which is pretty remarkable. We've got two double-digit spreads this weekend as well, so a bit disappointing. Uh, this one, I think, has all the makings of an all-time classic that may or may not stay within a five-point window each way uh, for a while. Oregon perennially underrated. Dana Almond, just such a March coach. Um, Quiz Duarte, first-round pick next year. This is this is a really, really fun matchup. Stat of the day, Chris. Andy Enfield, all-time against the tournament record, or against the spread <laughs> record in the tournament, 9-0. Oh. Wow. 9-0. Literally undefeated. Um, and that goes, that spans the Florida Gulf Coast, of course, and, and his years at USC. So I think he continues that streak. I like the Trojans to cover two and a half points. This one's going to be back and forth. This may be, come, may come down to whoever has the ball last uh, but, you know, the Trojans defense, number one in the country, two-point defense. I think that's going to ultimately be enough to slow down a very, very good Oregon Duck team. I like the Trojans to cover here. Two and a half, which should set up a really, really fun matchup on Tuesday evening with Gonzaga and USC. So we'll see. Any final thoughts here, Chris? Episode 77 of Believe in Betting LA. If you ever wanted to know why, so I don't want to gamble. I don't want to risk money. The reason you do it is for weekends like this is not only because you get to watch the game, but when your wife, girlfriend, mother, whomever is nagging you to go do X, Y, and Z, you say, dear, this is my job. I have to watch these games. This is important. That's what I'm going to be doing when somebody drops a baby in my hand and is telling me to go do something. I'm going to say, dear, I have to do these games. Very much looking forward to this weekend. Well, take some of those understanding as your wife and as your family has been over the years. Not, not everyone uh, awards that kind of understanding. So, um, Awesome. Well, want to thank our sponsor today, Bet Online, and of course our two awesome guests, Ben Stein and Rafi Cantor, the creators of the Bolted Podcast. Well, for Bet Online, for Rafi and Ben, the Bolted Podcast for Edge Fighter Sports for Stack Capital for the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Sam Maxwell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E 
AV on YouTube.